This is Pastoring Out Loud, podcast for Bethlehem Baptist Church's South Campus in Lakeville, Minnesota. Are you interested in learning more about our church? Go to Bethlehem.Church forward slash South. Again, we have uh, Gabe, Nick, and Chuck all with us here talking about worship. Welcome again, brothers. Still glad to be here. <laughs> Good to be here again. Let's several, do it, baby. Yeah, this is several days later. Yeah. Uh, I mean... Several days later, we're just getting together again. Still uh, not, wearing the same shirt. Nope, nope, nope. It's different day, different day. It's a new day. Um, so, brothers, we talked uh, last couple times, last time about uh, just worship. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit more about worship, musical worship at Bethlehem. Um, so I just quick, like, what's, a, what's your favorite song to sing in corporate worship? Or if not, the favorite a favorite either historically or presently what what ministers to your soul or ministers to your soul as you see it minister to others i'd say i mean it changes often i'd say right now the one that's currently on top is come behold the wondrous mystery um, by matt boswell and matt papa um can't get enough of that song just does a great job of walking through the whole gospel and uh the musical setting is so appropriate so love it Boy, uh, I agree with Nick. It, it, it changes. I really enjoy all creatures of our God and King, especially the fourth boy verse that, uh, that Bob Coughlin added. It walks me through, uh, I, I think, a real helpful progression and longs for the day when he shall return and everything will be made right and new. And right now, I, I could sing that about every Sunday. Yeah, um, man, it's constantly changing. Just off the top of my head, probably one of the ones that would be up top would be Boldy Eye Approach, um, done by Run Collective. I think that one, it just, uh, I feel like it just says it all in terms of just the ministry, the priestly ministry that Jesus has uh, in corporate worship. You know, he is the he is the ultimate worship leader who leads us on Sunday mornings, and um, it is only because of him that we can even approach uh, a holy God. And so there's this, there's a sense of awe and wonder that the song I think just captures so well of man, how is it that me a sinner can approach a holy God? It's only by sheer grace. And um, that, that just fills me with Thanksgiving. I love, love singing that, especially being on stage and seeing God's people respond to that song is, is, um, is a gift in and of itself. Yeah, amen. Um, I'm grateful for each of you guys and the songs you've introduced to our uh, our corporate liturgy. So starting off this particular podcast, I just figured I'd tee it up with Chuck. Chuck, in five minutes, five minutes, Chuck, what's the history? Wow, this is, I just realized even as I say this, this is like, good luck, Chuck. But uh, in five minutes, Give me, give me a spread of the history uh, at Bethlehem of, of corporate worship. Has Bethlehem always been just the way that it is right now in terms of corporate worship? What's changed? You know, maybe even talk a little bit about um, what came before you, how things changed once you came, and maybe the state of affairs presently in five minutes. Um, there's no question that uh, of the influence that uh, Pastor John Piper 
had on Bethlehem's Baptist Church, current vision and and uh, just love for God, love for uh, the doctrines of grace, love for the Bible, all of those kinds of things have marked us all. Uh, and I'm certainly a product of that. There was a there was a season at Bethlehem in the 80s where um, this high and holy transcendent vertical connection with God was paired with sort of a, a traditional high Baptistic style of worship that was really centered around choir and organ. And those two at that time were seen as parallel with each other. Uh, obviously historic uh, uh, reformed theology and historic traditional Baptistic, uh, certainly Baptistic worship put that together was seen as almost radical uh, in the late 80s to the uh, church growth movement that was happening across the US. And so there was a real sense of, of um, joy in the people of Bethlehem. They loved that. And uh, we're in the Midwest in Minnesota. Choirs with the Lutheran tradition all around us is huge. And so to be Baptistic, Reformed, and uh, connecting with the Scandinavian culture and, and all of the, the Midwest, upper Midwest kinds of uh, expressions, uh, it was, there was a lot of joy and happiness in, in piano, organ, uh, and very historic uh, approach to worship. Strangely enough, in 1989, there was a connection with John Wimber. And um, John Piper felt like John Wimber, blow your mind on that, John Wimber got Christian hedonism better than Bethlehem did. So John took his staff out to Anaheim and spent a couple of weeks with Wimber trying to get this sense of engaging, lingering, encountering God and just finding our joy and delight in that. And that has its roots also in some of our current uh, theological orientation related to the Holy Spirit and our continuationist um, stand. But there was something that began to stir in, in at Bethlehem. They brought back some of that kind of sense. Uh, sadly, in 1993, uh, a loved leader, my predecessor in worship, uh, fell in sin. It broke the church. There had almost been an idolizing of the level of excellence in historic worship that was here at Bethlehem. And um, as God took the church through that, an exodus on the part of the worship pastor the question was then asked, who are we now going to be in worship? Because we were longing for more of the Spirit, and longing for an engagement, an encounter with God, not just declaring truths about God, but really embracing and engaging in what God uh, would be doing by His presence with us. So new vision crafted in 95 and 96, and it really took us in a different direction at Bethlehem. I joined staff in 1997, and I was presented with 13 different values in worship. And some of them were, were you know, trying to 
figure out what it meant for us to be um, more engaged in a in the lingering and longing for the spirit's presence in our worship but it also took us uh, into reaching our neighborhood. Bethlehem uh, next year is 150 years old. They've been in this neighborhood in downtown Minneapolis since 1871, 1871. And uh, that neighborhood is very diverse neighborhood. And so uh, how do we engage our community in, in corporate worship? took us down the road of, of uh, black gospel music. And so when I began in 1997, they'd never used a drum set. And so we begin to, to take steps to add rhythm uh, to this very rich, uh, God-centered form of worship. Transitioned the choir. Uh, a lot of controversy around backing away from an organ project. We began to, to try to flesh out the vision. Um, God brought us into this whole world of, of racial uh, and ethnic harmony because we felt called to reach our neighborhood, which was uh, very much made up of non-majority culture uh, folks. So if we were going to learn to speak their heart language, in our worship, we needed to at corporately begin to, to explore different types of music. So that was very much a part of what the early 2000s were. Uh, God brought us in, in um, through some wonderful experiences um, to have uh, Tadashi and uh, Shailin and Lecrae come and, and uh, jump into our corporate worship and express their heart language through Christian uh, rap and rhyme uh, was, was a stretching for us uh, to continue to have a real solid uh, church choir and orchestra that did, was able to do both new and old uh, choral and, and instrumental music. To this day, we, we would probably consider ourselves blended um, in our worship style. And um, so that's, um, that's a little bit of a history. So we've changed a lot from 1980 up till 2020 has been a, a season where we've transitioned as a church. And today we have a, we have a standing choir. We have a choir that tours uh, Europe. Uh, we also have um, uh, uh, Hammond B3 organ at each of the campuses. And we love, we love that instrument. Uh, it is the heart and soul of black gospel music. And uh, so that's very much a part of our tradition now. So hopefully we've grown uh, and we've learned to speak different heart languages. Yes, that, uh, that organ is near and dear to Nick's heart and also his open mouth with his tongue sticking out. Amen. Um, repeatedly. <laughs> so Nick, uh, Chuck just shared like one thing that's common. Hey, there's an organ at all three campuses. Would you say like from your perspective, what's specific and unique? So last time we heard Gabe just kind of lay out, here's liturgy wholesale. Here's what it commonly looks like both scripturally and otherwise. Anything specific to Bethlehem's liturgy? And maybe even, are there some variances between the three campuses? Yeah, I mean, so we have a lot 
that's that's in common um, with our with our vision for worship in our liturgy. So like Gabe talked about, we have this gospel flow um, to our liturgy where we see God revealed. And then based on that, we confess our sins and then we celebrate what Jesus has done for us in Thanksgiving. And, and then we do intercession and hear the word and um, come to the table. And so these are things that we all have in common um, across all three campuses. There are some differences. And so the thing that immediately comes to mind is at the South Campus, um, we've just started um, doing communion every week. And that's, that's unique to us at the South Campus. And that really just stems from um, what we think happens at the table. And so we come to actually fellowship with Christ. Um, we, we believe that there is a, a fellowship in the body and in the blood, not, not as the literal elements of Christ. So we, we don't believe like the Roman Catholics do in that, but we do believe that he's spiritually present and that there's real grace to be had, sanctifying grace uh, when we come to the table. Um, so we're, we're trying to incorporate that weekly at the South Campus. So that might be one difference. Um, each campus has their own canon of songs. Um, so we have some that are uh, shared um, across all campuses. You know, a lot of the hymns, there's some songs like All I Have is Christ and um, In Christ Alone and things like that. But then there are differences. There are specific songs that are more um, common at each campus. There are specific readings um, that we share. And then it, specific readings that are more uh, unique to each campus. And so in all of these things, we have the basic framework of the liturgy that we, that we still uh, hold to, but um, there are certain, certainly differences. So Gabe, we get together and we sing on Sunday mornings only in English. Is that all we do? We just sing in English like a hundred percent of the time. Well, uh, we sing uh, in other languages besides English. At Bethlehem South, um, and I know at the other campuses as well, Bethlehem has made it her practice to sing in different languages. And uh, I think this is going along with what Chuck was talking about in a previous episode regarding heart language. This is basically coming from the an extension of that, that it's kind of trendy right now to have multi-ethnic or multicultural worship. But I, I think Bethlehem wants to be multi-ethnic and multicultural in their worship, not because it's trendy, but because the church is multi-ethnic and multicultural. It's kind of like what Chuck said earlier, where he said that the church is made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and is probably is probably the most diverse group of people on the planet. You know, only only God could write a story like that, where people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would worship the one true God, uh, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. That's what we see in the book of Revelation. We see a preview of what is of what is to come. Peoples from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus. And that is what we see now um, in the already, not yet. And so what you have on a Sunday morning uh, in the local church, at least at Bethlehem, is you have people from different backgrounds, different cultures who speak different languages. And I know at South Campus, we have um, a lot of people who speak Russian. We have tried to, I know Chuck has tried to throw Russian into the mix, and we do it um, as an expression of worship, but also as an act of love uh, for our brothers and sisters who speak in those different languages as a way of saying, hey, we see you, we love you. It's really like an act of love, like joining arms with them and saying, we are one, we are the church. Um, and so it's, it is very communal as well. Uh, for someone like me, who's uh, Latino, 
that's that's pretty significant for me because for the longest time I feel like I have I've had my feet in two different worlds uh, one foot in uh, Latino culture Christian Christian worship and then the other foot in uh, white majority culture and so I've I have learned to kind of live in those in those two worlds and those two worlds often collide in something really beautiful and so when we sing songs in English and Spanish in sometimes Hebrew uh, other languages Arabic that's that's um something very beautiful and it and it reflects the diversity and the unity of of the the Church of Jesus Christ and so um, that's why we sing in different languages as a, as an act of worship and as an act of love uh, in community and when it happens, it's very special. It's really cool when to, to be able to sing it on Sunday mornings uh, in different languages, but to be able to see it on stage, people responding in different ways. Some people not singing at all just because they can't pronounce the words, but they're very engaged uh, and very moved by hearing others sing around them. It is a it is a very beautiful thing. Yeah, so it's both an act of love to others in our fellowship to speak other languages. Um, and it's an act, it's an aspirational act, like the people of God all over the world speak all kinds of languages. So even though we have no, perhaps, uh, uh, we might have a few people that actually speak Hebrew, but not as a first language. Uh, it might be some that speak Arabic at South Campus. I don't think so, though. But we sing in those languages aspirationally as an acknowledgement of our commonality with all other believers in other places throughout the world. Um, so talk about the nations in worship where we're talking, we're expressing um, there are many ethnicities, many different languages, many different nations, but also there's the, the generations in worship. So the 1970s, the 1980s saw the so-called worship wars where uh, loads and loads of people, uh, I, I suppose more in your fields of expertise, debated about uh, particular things in regards to worship and what worship should look like on a Sunday morning and kinds of songs sung, other things like that. Chuck alluded to uh, the traditional Baptistic and kind of a the Lutheran land of Minnesota. But today, for instance, we do not have, at the, the campuses that have multiple services, we don't have traditional and contemporary services. Chuck alluded to it a little bit ago talked about where our style is more blended. Um, so incorporating different aspects. Chuck, you want to talk about that? What, why is that the case? Why do we why do we rule that way instead of perhaps making the decision to do traditional contemporary? How do we rationalize that? What's, what's the reasons behind that? Well, I've lived long enough to know that what used to be new is now old. <laughs> and uh, if it was contemporary, at what point does it now become traditional? we're continually growing. Uh, our, our, the longer you live, the more change you see. And there are new songs all the time. I love, uh, we have a classic radio station, NPR, and their favorite line is where all music was new at one time. Even in the traditional contemporary new and old kind of dichotomy, it really is about when it happened and the people that were connected to it and related to it. So we are a family. We are a blood-bought family of God and we have old and we have, we have multiple generations. We have older people and we have 
younger people. And that continues. We don't see in scripture where you sing new songs for this group of people and old songs for this group of people. It is the body of Christ worshiping together, Ephesians 5, encouraging one another. And so we just early on felt like it was, it was more of a North American niche marketing kind of thing to, to think about, well, we're just going to sing new songs here and then we're only going to sing old songs there. Again, new becomes old at some point in time. So do you still keep, how do you start over again? So the reality is we're a family. Grandma needs, my favorite line is grandma needs to learn junior songs and junior needs to learn grandma's songs because all of them have validity in the faith, expressing, expressing their faith in the Lord. So the older generations, the previous generations met, encountered God uh, in their generation. And those songs were very powerful and meaningful in developing their heart language. Um, and we want to honor them. And faith is new every day. So there will always be new songs being written about what God is speaking to us today about and speaking oftentimes even into blind spots that we've had in our understanding of, of who God is. Um, there are seasons where hymnology didn't touch on any issues that we think are very valuable. And we've, we've had good correctives over the years in different songs. So just developing that sense of family and helping people know what it means to, to use the best. We talk about using the best of the old and the best of the new. And so because it's novel or new, doesn't mean we necessarily incorporate it. And because it's old, doesn't necessarily mean we're going to keep it in the canon of songs or keep using it. There are universal expressions of praise that seem to be timeless. Uh, we have songs amazing grace uh, and some songs that just seem to pass on from generation to generation and still have much meaning. And that's what we mean by blended. We do value new, but not everything. And everything needs to be weighed and critiqued and old needs to be critiqued. And at times it's, uh, it's had its moment uh, for a particular generation, but is not understood by, by us today. Uh, we talk about language. Sometimes our language can become a bit archaic and la lose meaning. Phrases can lose meaning. Uh, you know, we still have to try to figure out what, uh, you know, some of the biblical terms are like an Ebenezer. You know, we, it's, a, it's a teaching time for us to be able to think through some of these things and, and then represent them as fresh, so. That's what we mean by blended, best of old and new. Great. You look like an Ebenezer in that chair, Chuck. Thank you. So you just so you know, we're so not not you by yourself, Chuck. Right. You in that chair. Just a just a good rock. Yeah. 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 Brothers, anything else uh, in closing that you would add? Just say about worship. Anything that would be helpful, particularly for people at South Campus to hear about worship at Bethlehem. I just say in this current season that we're in, how much we still value worship. Um, it's hard nowadays. Um, and we're, we're feeling that in our hearts um, with the, the pandemic that we're in the middle of and how that's affecting every area of life that includes worship. 
And yet it is still so encouraging for me uh, every Sunday um, to see people coming and gathering together with proper restrictions, you know, wearing the masks and the things that we're asking people to do, um, but to see them raising holy hands and to, to worship the Lord and to encourage one another. That doesn't change uh, in the middle of a pandemic and the Lord is still working in the, in the midst of us. Um, and so um, just even in the midst of the hard times, one of the things that's just been so encouraging to my heart has been the corporate worship. Uh, of the people of God that is continuing and will continue. And um, we just love to see that here at Bethlehem. One of our values is to be a singing church. And um, my, my desire, whether you're, you're on virtual, when you're on the live stream or whether you're in person, that um, we try to create and use songs and, and, and lead in ways that enable us to to all participate together so that we really can flesh out Ephesians 5, that it can be encouraging, uplifting, admonishing to each other. Um, but participation is really important. And um, whether you're live stream or whether you are in person, we, we, we value participation. And we, we just pray that you'd be, be able to engage with us um in in worship and it um that's what marks in person so much is to be able to hear one another encourage one another that way so may that be so on the in person and and on our live stream yeah i would just add um just um a, a longing to go deeper just in the holy spirit when it comes to worship just uh wanting to have have just experienced more freedom um in the holy spirit at bethlehem uh than ever before like dreaming longing for that um even as even as pastor dave has been preaching through the book of acts it would be pretty sick if pentecost happened at bethlehem and i know that pentecost is an unrepeatable event but you know what i'm saying just like holy spirit just come down um and change us and bring revival uh, like never before do what you only can do God you know that's what I'm longing for it, at Bethlehem and then just the church universal brothers thanks so much for joining us I'm grateful for each of your ministries to the church and all the different ways over the years and different personalities and different worship you know skills that you bring to the table our church is blessed in the gifts that God has granted you guys such that each of you men are gifts to this church. We are grateful.